Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly and with Willem van Denderen on his European sojourn for the next few months, we're pleased to report that our former ITN journo-turned-pundit Derek Dyson is back from his and will be joining us throughout the show. Now, if there was ever any question as to whether the post-Women's World Cup halo would endure, it was removed beyond doubt in blistering style over the weekend when first a second-string Matildas lineup battled to beat a hard-working and cynical Iran 2-0 in front of nearly 19,000 at H Park in the first of their Olympic qualifiers. But when Tony Gustafsson unleashed the big guns in prime time on Sunday night against one of the surprise packets of the World Cup, the Australian women blew the Philippines off the park, blasting eight unanswered goals past the visitors, giving the sold-out Optus Stadium of nearly 60,000 a rock star performance from Australia's favourite side. One of our favourites on Box to Box is 10 Paramount Plus commentator and former Matilda Grayskill, who will join us soon. Now, it's been a little while since we took a look at Newcastle since what appeared to be a breakout season last time round under their new saudi owner. After jumping out of the gate, hammering Villa at home in the opening round, they stumbled to consecutive losses but have gone unbeaten in the league since, as well as putting up a credible performance in the Champions League so far, highlighted by a special Wednesday night flogging of PSG at St James's Park. They've had controversy too surrounding Sandro Tonali's gambling suspension, but all things considered, the Toonami would be best pleased about life under Eddie Howe right now. We'll get an update from the Athletics man on the beat, Jacob Whitehead. Edge, a stack to talk about. Dell is back. Um, now, don't knock my pins over too early because I know there's a lot Matilda's style and we're going to talk about it all, but but what, what a week it's been, mate. It's been a fantastic week for Australian women's football fans. Again, the wave continues. We'll talk to Grace Gill about that, but a special mention to Iran. Um, obviously put up a great fight against the Matildas and considering the social backdrop that women's football's mm. had to face in Iran, uh, that is some um, uh, achievement considering... Um, where they've come from. Um, but congratulations to the Matildas. The front third was looking pretty magic, wasn't it, Rob, against mm. the Philippines? Eight unbelievable goals um, mm. and a crowd of 60,000 people at Optus Stadium in Perth. Well done to Western Australia. Well done, Perth. And Derek, happy birthday. Welcome back. 40 years old and looking, well, I would say closer to 30 than 40. Yeah, thanks for that, Rob. I've been, uh, I would say I've been enjoying listening to um, the podcast on on the whole, I've been uh, traveling uh, all around Europe. Uh, I thought Joey did a, a fantastic job uh, coming in and uh, providing his very sage and uh, knowledgeable um, accounts of the game. I do have um, one bone to pick. Um, I have been aware of a, an agenda that's pervading this podcast. Um, you might say there's been a lot of bias a total whitewash in in many ways and that was in the a-league review last week where there was no mention of western united whatsoever in, in in the entire interview that you did there did every other team apart from western united and I'm, i know that uh, they've had a shaky start but just we're just luring the league into a false sense of security and, and we're going to come romping home not that our fans would know about it because we didn't even talk about them explain yourselves 
Well, Derek, I mean, it's beautifully set up there because I think anyone who listens to this knew where they thought you were going with that angle, but mate, you weren't here. So, you know, you're our resident Western United uh, diehard. Yeah. And so we, we didn't want to steal your thunder. Uh, we just thought we'd leave it all up to you. So why don't you give us analysis of how they've gone over the opening two rounds? Well, look, it hasn't hasn't been a been the best start. Obviously, the the defeat at the weekend was quite chastening uh, for the guys, but they, they they pushed Melbourne City relatively close in that um, opening round. Um, and yeah, look, I, I think it's two games in. We can't write them off yet. We've got that beautiful new stadium and ground that they're going to be playing in soon. Away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That looks magnificent. So uh, I can't I can't wait to to get there and. Uh, you know, get my, my green and black on and, and get behind the boys. And MacArthur coming up next. No, you know, not not, not in great form either, MacArthur. So I think that would be the first first scalp of the season and almost upwards from there, Jones. All right. Well, listen, beautifully said there, Derek, and welcome back, my friend. Um, and uh, yes, um, if uh, you were wondering, has there been an agenda? All well, I'm going to get to that agenda um, in a moment, and it's not the Western United agenda you're referring to, but let's get into the news. And uh, as I mentioned off the top, the Matildas shook off the rust of what would have been best described as an unconvincing performance from a largely second-string side against Iran on Thursday night to beat them 2-0. Tony Gustafsson took the opportunity to rest most of the World Cup heroes and duly led 1-0 at the break after Charlotte Grant and Courtney Vine combined for Ellie Carpenter to finish off the opener 19 minutes in. But it wasn't until the bomb squad was employed off the bench late in the second half that they finished the nervy job courtesy of Steph Catley, Mary Fowler and of course Sam Kerr. Sunday night though was the polar opposite. It seemed that the Golden Girls had no intention of a repeat putting on a masterclass in front of a packed Optus stadium Hat-tricks to Kerr and Caitlin Ford, 5-0 at halftime. It was thriller-minute stuff. We're going to talk to Grace Smith-Gill about this in a moment, Edge. But I, I just felt that if if the momentum could raise to another level after the World Cup, that that performance in front of 60,000 people at Optus Stadium did the job. Well, it was Sam Kerr's homecoming, wasn't it? It was long overdue, and the Western Australian public well and truly welcomed their favourite daughter home. And, um, look, let's just uh, put a bit of a reality check. It was extremely positive. There's no negatives, but it was only the Philippines. And, um, you know, there's uh, tougher tests ahead for the Matildas in this Olympic Games qualification program. There's a couple of other groups with sort of tight scenarios. Um, we'll... we'll obviously play Japan, South Korea, maybe North Korea, um, maybe China too. So, look, we just have to wait and see uh, what uh, transpires in the remaining matches. But um, some tougher games ahead, but it's all full positive, Rob. Yeah, it is. Well, let's, we'll talk to Grayskill about that uh, um, in detail uh, shortly. Now, Derek, my apologies in advance for greeting your return this story, but I'm afraid it's not going to go anywhere, my friend. So you'll just have to suck it up because... You're well aware that Ange Postacoglu Spurs stayed on top in the Friday night at Selhurst Friday night game at Selhurst Park. The two-one result belied the visitors' dominance and franked the effectiveness of their win at all costs. Approach under Postacoglu with their skipper Song Hyung Min and his handy assistant, not quite Harry Kane, light James Madison running the show. The top of the ladder is now taking shape with your Gunners pounding the blades five 0 and it was a handy buffer they created to stay ahead of City, who emphasised the golfing class against their neighbours in the Manchester Derby. Villa kept proving themselves and stay fifth, but against Luton. 
Luton, considering Luton have, have been okay, I'm not saying there is an asterisk, but it was against Luton, and Everton shocked a pretty ordinary hammers uh, to give themselves some breathing space. And, of course, Liverpool cruised past Forest, but it was a game less about the result than the spectre of the kidnapping of Luis Diaz's parents, acknowledged by his teammates when Diogo Jota surrounded them uh, and held up his uh, Colombian teammates uh, player number seven shirt after his 31st minute goal. So Derek, uh, look, a lot to take in there from the, the, the Spurs story right through to the, the, the you know, the re- real, uh, the terrible story of the kidnapping of, um, of Diaz's parents. But uh, uh, you've been over there now. How was it in your experience uh, uh, back well, home um, and going back to, uh, you know, that, uh, well, not necessarily Highbury where, you know, you spent so many formative years uh, as a young man, but uh, but um, to the new home of the Gunners and uh, and watching football um, in, uh, in in England. Well, yeah, the, the Manchester City game that I went to obviously was an amazing experience to be back in the ground after seven years. And for our loyal listeners, you'd have heard my um, my report where I was getting quite excited in the pub uh, after the game. It was actually amazing just to watch the football and how it was evolved, though, particularly Man City and Arsenal, this kind of chess game they were playing in the middle of the pitch, very compact, very nip and tuck, um, and obviously decided by a somewhat fortuitous goal at the end with with, uh, with the deflection. Um but yeah, look, there's, there's a good buzz around uh, back, back in the UK. I think, as you said, there is a title race starting to develop now. Um, you know, obviously Tottenham had another uh, an, another easy game uh, there at Crystal Palace, virtually giving them giving them the win. Um, I do hope some of the teams do try and compete at, at some stage. But um, Arsenal, obviously, best start to a league campaign for 16 years and still undefeated arguably not playing particularly great either. You can read into that two ways. I'm going to look at it as in the best is yet to come. Uh, and obviously, um, Man City uh, it was a pretty punch-drunk Manchester United. I think Eric Ten Hag is now under mm. severe pressure. It was an abject performance in many, many ways. A lot of players throwing the towel in towards the end of the, towards the, end of the game there and a perfect one really for City to, to bounce uh, back on and, and just a, a thought on and, and uh, on Arsenal's opponent, Sheffield United, sitting at the bottom of the Premier League on one mm. solitary point. Um, they're now uh, a quarter of the way through the season, so they're on track to get four points uh, at the moment. So I think you know. I heard um, in, in the athletic podcast I was listening to this afternoon, it's the worst start in the history of the Premier League and the only other team in the, in the league uh, pyramid that hadn't won a game up until the weekend just gone was Wednesday, and they won on the weekend. There you go. So, look, I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for Sheffield United. It's, it's, it's a very it's a dire situation for them to be in. I think they're going to um, have their asses hand, handed to them a lot of times this season. Let's just hope there's a bit of an, a bit of an uptick. But, mm. you know, I think, I think there's only two relegation spots left, that's for sure. Yeah, you agree. Uh, now, the other European leagues, briefly, in the Bundesliga, Harry Kane scored a hat-trick as Bayern destroyed Darmstadt 8-0, but couldn't close the gap on Leverkusen, who beat Freiburg 2-1. In the City R, your favourite, Derek, Jose Mourinho, watched from the stand, serving a red card suspension as Inter stayed top with a 1-0 win over Roma. Now, I know you're going to, Derek, expand on this in stoppage time, so I'll just touch on it briefly, but uh, Jude Bellingham, uh, is he not stepping up to the, uh, the, the level of the potential 
new Ronaldo, the next Messi. It, it might be happening. He scored his ninth and tenth goals in a an El Clasico classic to pretty much beat Barca off his own boot at the Estadio Olympic Luis Companies. Now, we're not used to saying uh, the name of that stadium because Camp Nou is being renovated. And for those who, who are of a certain age, particularly Edge and I, uh, it's also known as the Montjuic Olympic Stadium, home of the 1992 Summer Games where they're playing uh, this season. Now, in League One, the Marseille fans, and I know, Edge, you're going to talk about this in stoppage time, they disgraced French football, again, attacking the Lyon bus and seriously injuring their manager, Fabio Grosso, leading to the match being suspended while Nice stayed one point clear of PSG after a late winner against Clermont. Now, uh, no football in the A-League women's with the aforementioned Olympic qualifying break, but in the men's, our speculation last week with Joey Lynch that Melbourne Victory might have found their mojo was franked with a 5-3 goal fest against Newcastle at Olympic uh, at Amy Park, I should say, including four goals from Bruno Fornaroli, which could have been seven, only to be outdone later in the afternoon when Adelaide United humiliated last year's Premier 6-0. Now, Edge, um, they just had no answers to Carl Viet's men, but there's a certain Nestri Irin Kunda who got the party started. Didn't he? What? I mean, just have a listen to this, Rob. Nestori Irin Kunda! <laughs> Unbelievable! He is well and truly cooking! Nestori Irin Kunda at just 17 years of age! Well, there's a couple of items to make out of this, or, or points to make out of this, and one is that it was it was a goal from a set piece. It was a world class strike, top corner, round the wall. Um, Melbourne City goalkeeper, no chance. That is that is remarkable. But at seventeen years of age, to take mm. on the responsibility of a, a free kick for your club in the second time that you've started on the field, <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. Um, and him and his uh, other seventeen year old mate, um, they were just yeah. They just were fantastic. And, and what about Bernardo Oliveira, son yeah. of the great Cassio, scores right. a couple himself. So they are well and truly cooking, and they're doing it all. I mean, they've won the first two games, nine goals for, none against. They've beaten mm. the Premiers and the Champions, and they're doing it all without the last year's Johnny Warren medalist, uh, Craig mm. Goodwin. So mm. Mm. Uh, there's a lot to like about Adelaide United. They've shocked the A-League with um, some very impressive performances in the first two rounds, and mm-hmm. um Let's see. There was some criticism about what players they were going to recruit to replace the players they lost in the off-season, in particular Goodwin, but it looks like they don't need them at the moment. No, no, doing beautifully and uh, Craig Goodwin uh, doing nicely uh, um, over in the Saudi League, which we'll, we'll mention in a moment. Uh, soccer is Matilda's central for the Green and Gold Army. The AFC Asian Cup edge kicks off in mid-January. Now, you're encouraging people to register their interest to be on the early bird booking list to get the opportunity to book at the best price before the retail launch. So you go to ggarmy.com. Now, um, where's the advantage? What sort of money are we saving here if, uh, if people got bought early? Oh, the loyalty discount and early bookings up to $500 off your package price. So, yeah, look, get along and, and register, pre-register, and uh, we can look after you with a special price uh, on what's going to be a, a limited uh, tour program to the Asian Cup. It's, it's going okay. to be a lot of fun. We know Doha, like the back of our hands, there's no, a lot of fantastic so. matches to see, not just the soccer roost, and also some wonderful little places we've found to enjoy a tourism experience. Okay. Well, you're a bloody local um, after all the time you spent there during the World Cup. So if someone wants to go there, mate, you're going to know your way around. Now, I mentioned in the Saudi A-League, uh, the Saudi League, uh, Craig Goodwin's extended his goal-scoring form with a double against Alweda, uh, for Alweda against Steven Gerrard's Al-Itifak in a 3-2 loss on Saturday. Now, um, 
back in Europe, Connor Metcalf, uh, you mentioned he provided an assist to St. Paul. He came from behind to remain top of the German two Bundesliga uh, after a 2-1 victory over Karlsruhe. Uh, Jackson Irvine played a full game, almost scored uh, in, in about the 33rd minute, but just couldn't get his connection to, to close range. Now, Matt Ryan, um, um, he was uh, obviously in goal at AZ's match with NEC in the Dutch Eredivisie on Sunday, but it was suspended after Bas Dost collapsed on the pitch with a few minutes remaining. Now, AZ were trailing 2-1, but the 34-year-old former Dutch international uh, fortunately regained consciousness uh, and it was uh, it was carried off the field. But after what we saw during the, the Euros a couple of years ago with Christian Eriksen, those sorts of things are, are very, very scary. Good uh, news that he uh, he's um, coming good. Now, in the championship, Massimo Luongo started and played 65 minutes, earning an 8 out of 10 rating from the East Anglian Daily Times as Ipswich Town maintained their grip on second spot with a 3-2 win over Plymouth Argyle. And uh, on top spot, as we know, Leicester City going beautifully. Harry Suter, at least he's an unused sub. He wasn't a sub for a while there. They beat QPR 2-1. Now, Christian Volpato, uh, he came on late for Sassuolo in a one-all home draw with Bologna in the City R on Saturday. Moture came off the bench to provide an assist for the equaliser for Paris FC and managed a two-all draw with Paris. Paddy Kisnorbo's Troy in France's League 2 and elsewhere, Kenu Bacchus was among the scorers as St Mirren routed St Johnston 4-0. Kai Rolls, Cameron Devron and Karen Newenoff were also involved. Cuts conceded twice at the death to lose to Rangers 2-1 on Sunday and in the the, uh, the Hibs game, uh, Martin Boyle almost uh, won it off his own boot but couldn't get the job done, nil all draw against Celtic. So, gentlemen, that's uh, that's it for uh, for the Socceroos and, well, Matilda Central. It's all about the Matildas over in Perth right now. Um, after the break, we're going to get to that very subject with Grace Gill from 10 Paramount. Uh, she is one of their excellent pundits, former Matilda herself, and uh, we're going to get an insight from Grace and, uh, and just find out what it's been like on the ground and what her expectations are for the rest of the campaign. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, we were all enthralled by the amazing Women's World Cup. It not only had football fans in Australia watching live and on the TV for the duration, but it captured the rest of the country. In fact, it captured the rest of the world and has been roundly acknowledged as the best Women's World Cup uh, uh, since they began. And I guess the big question on everybody's lips was just how far the game could go in the future. Would the legacy play out the way that we'd all hoped? Would the crowds continue to come and would the players continue to step up to another level? That question was well and truly answered over the course of the past week in Perth with another game to come in the AFC Olympic qualifiers. Little ring rust, again, there were the players that were not necessarily the first starters in Tony Gustafsson's side against Iran, but they blew the Philippines out of the water. And a lady, former Matilda, she's been there on the big stage herself and she watched up close and personal those two games. It was Grace Gill from 10 Paramount Plus and we welcome Grace back to the show. How are you, Grace? Really good. Still right in the high of that result against the Philippines. It was a, a pretty spectacular thing to be a part of. Um, and the atmosphere, the weather, everything about the performance was just 
a great afternoon for football and obviously a really pleasing result for the Matildas. So last week we were speculating on the two games ahead and uh, and we wondered whether the Matildas would need to get out of third gear against Iran, but they would have to be properly prepared for the Philippines game. Now, as it turned out, the Iranians played you know, quite a cynical game, but it was effective. They had a game plan. They knew what their abilities were and they they stuck to it. And they could have got out of it with a 1-0 result uh, until uh, you know the, the bomb squad came off the bench with about 30 mm-hmm go and sorted that out but uh, there was none of that in thinking about preparing for for, um, the podcast this week I I was thinking that this this looked to me like a team who who well and truly believed they'd earned the right to be on the world stage and that they were going to flex their muscles and have no mercy against an opponent who did deserve respect after their efforts in Mm -hmm. the World Cup. Yeah I think so and I think for the Philippines one thing I, I would say about their performance is that they did try to play football. It wasn't a case of sitting back in and, and playing that kind of similar game to what we saw from Iran, which was effective. But the Philippines showed up and said, no, we're actually going to try and play here. And I think what we saw was just a different class of football in team, a different maturity of football in team. The Matildas, they've come along in leaps and bounds in the last, well, six months, but kind of 10 to 12 years. And the Philippines are very much still on that journey. So the fact that uh, in the Matildas, what was really pleasing was final third finishing, clinical edge, um, some of that quality that were missing a little bit against Iran, but a very different proposition in the team that we were up against. So it was a really what felt like a uh, fulfilling result uh, for the Matildas, not just because of the scoreline, but the way in which they went about it. The quality of the finishes, the goal scoring uh, was really just top class. Uh, Grace, you mentioned the front third and not many pundits would have predicted uh, the change in formation for the match against the Philippines with uh, Caitlin Ford playing centrally and Mary Fowler out on the left, unless you'd seen training, of course. But what did you make of that? It well and truly worked. Ford had mm. um, another unbelievable performance. She was brilliant. Um, Caitlin Ford, in my mind at the moment, is just in the form of her life. Uh, and I think she is transferring that across across both club and country. It's not just sort of limited to her club football. She comes back and puts on the Matilda shirt and she steps up in such a big way. Um, and I think what really worked well was Mary Fowler pushing out to the left is a position that she's been playing and playing well uh, with Man City. And she's started all four games over there. Uh, she's playing more football, more minutes this season in four games and what she has the entirety of last season with Man City. So for Mary Fowler, she's playing with a lot of freedom and confidence. And I think what we saw from the Matildas performance is that final third was actually the rotation in the front three. So as much as they set up with Caitlin Ford in that 10 role and, and Fowler a little bit wider, there was plenty of times throughout the game where they interchanged. And for a, a defence for the Philippines, that was really hard to deal with. But it just gave those girls so much confidence, so much fluidity, and they were really a joy to watch. And Tony Gustafsson said post-match that it was the best attacking display from the Matildas in his time as coach. Um, there is a lot to look forward to. Um, obviously, the, the high watermark semi-final um, finish for the Matildas at the World Cup. It, it, it beckons. The Olympic Games in France beckons. And obviously, to do it on home soil is one thing, but to do it from away, home, away from home would be another. If this uh, combination of plays in the front third can keep rolling, anything really is possible, isn't it? 
I think so. Um, and I think obviously the first step to that for the Matildas is this qualifying tournament. So finishing top of the group really convincingly. Uh, perhaps we thought that the scoreline against Iran would, been, would have been a lot higher than it was, but that turned out to be the case against the Philippines and there's still a job to do against Chinese Taipei. Um, further to that will be the next leg of qualification where we come up against these other group winners, which presumably may be Japan, China, some of the heavyweights from the Asian Confederation. Um, and that's going to be tough because we saw how good Japan were at the Women's World Cup. They are just such a world-class team. And that's a really scary proposition for the Matildas, to, to a hurdle to get over on their way to Paris qualification. I think they can do it, um, but there's a lot of work to be done yet. Yes, and North Korea is another team that's back in the mix of things. I saw they had a draw mm. with South Korea, so they're actually one of the favourites to go finish top of their group as well. Um, what about, um, I just want you to uh, reflect away from the Matildas for a moment. Um, I thought a real highlight for me was the performance of Iran against Australia. Uh, just with the backdrop of what's faced Iranian uh, women's football, uh, it's a remarkable thing that they're even in the tournament, let alone performing to the level that they did. Can you just reflect on mm. Iran's performance? Um, and uh, I know that they would uh, take a lot of pride from uh, it, it sounds funny to say they've only been defeated by two goals, but um, it was something that uh, that surprised me, just how good they were. Yep, I think that's a, a really fair assessment um, going into the sheds that 1-0 at half time for them would have been a huge win. Um, and I think, yeah, sort of the further political landscape around where they are in their country and the fact that they're representing their country is incredible. They're inspiring, inspiring women, um, a team that, hasn't hasn't been around for all that long um sort of reformed in 05 um the the team was banned by fifa in 2011 for wearing hijabs and then that was lifted in 2012 so they've had a really difficult um history in in, in football let alone what goes on in their country and for them rest assured this was one of the biggest games of their lives that would have been the biggest crowd at hbf park 18,000 uh for these women to play in front of and uh their coach as well spoke about the fact that she was a Sam Kerr fan and that a number of the girls were Sam Kerr fans. So for them, just the occasion and the the opportunity to play against the Matildas, who they know are, are really superstars now, it, it would have been really, really special. And a 2-0 result is a lot to sort of be proud of for that Iranian team. Yeah, there's some good footballers there and uh, they've obviously got a future. It was the yeah, amazing press conference to say that the, the, it was the first time that the coach and the players had seen any of these these uh, Australian players in the flesh. Um, amazing. They'd only seen them on TV. Um, a little bit of disappointing news for the A-League and Sydney FC. Courtney Vine looks like she's injured a hamstring. So um, that'll uh, add to more challenges for Sydney as they look to assemble a pretty uh, new team in the A-League. Really tough. And I'm sure uh, Sydney FC coach Ante Juric would have been watching on and just... Yeah, we're, we're disappointment as much as anything else and, and concern for Courtney Vine. Uh, we know what a live wire she is. We know that she's announced herself on the world stage and for the Matildas too. And her choice to stay in the A-League women's this year has been very special for our league because the fans that are showing up for those Sydney FC games, I tell you, you can hear them more so than ever before. And um, yeah, really, really worried for Courtney. I, I hope that it was nothing too bad, just a little, a little pull or a strain that she 
had the smarts to say to myself, well, no, I'm going to take myself off here because this is not worth making any worse, but frustrating. Um, and you hope for Sydney and you hope for the Matildas that it's nothing too bad because in just a few weeks' time, um, that next international window of games has been announced for the Matildas against Canada early December. So there's a lot of football to be played, both uh, domestically and internationally. And for Courtney, I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers and I really hope it's nothing too serious. And a special moment from the match against the Philippines was Claire Wheeler's goal. Um, obviously, there is a, a group of players that are on the fringe of first-team selection who don't get many minutes, but when they get their opportunities, uh, they grab it. But um, it was a sensational goal. She had a beautiful, beautiful strike. But it was the response of her teammates. Yeah. They knew how important that goal was uh, and also the response from the coach. Um, and your commentary uh, yeah. on the broadcast, I thought, was terrific. But um, just... Take us into the um, the mindset of Claire Wheeler. She mm. she had a smile from ear to ear, and obviously obviously a very special moment in her career. Yeah, I think so, and I think as well with the sort of frame and the context of the fact that she was one of very few players who didn't see a minute at the World Cup, and that's a really tough position for a player to be in. That you're part of this environment, you're part of this huge groundswell of what we saw the Matildas achieve on the world stage but she didn't actually step on the field of play. And mentally, that's really, really challenging. She's an ultimate professional. Uh, she's a hard worker. She's smart. She's got a really good head on her shoulders. And I think the response from the group, as you mentioned, it was the eighth goal of the game. So it wasn't a decider by any means, but it was a sweet, sweet hit. And her response was was just so joyous. And the fact that the girls just got around her really quickly. Her 15th appearance for, for the national team. And, yeah, I felt as though it was a really well-deserved finish and, and and reward for what, in my mind, has been great performances in the green and gold. So is, is that goal um, an insight into the depth, admittedly a little rusty against Iran, but Iran lifted, um, that we didn't see in the World Cup? One of the few criticisms of Tony Gustafsson during that World Cup was uh, um, his... Uh, decision not to to use the full squad on as yeah. regular a basis and players uh, you know Alex Chidiak a, a good example that, that we felt that could have been game changers in critical moments uh, uh, that may have allowed us to go deeper this is all you know 2020 hindsight but uh, but is this the kind of depth that we need to see used if Australia are going to finally get onto that podium um, and and break the shackles of of nearly getting there I think so. And I think what we saw in the World Cup, there was a bit of tiredness. There was a bit of fatigue, understandably, and you could see the legginess in players. And the Matildas were one of a couple of teams that used the least number of, of players in their squad. So we just relied on the same 13, 14 players pretty heavily. But for players like Wheeler, Chidiak, Nevin to get more confidence, more game time, build themselves into this starting 11 squad or have such an impact that when they are brought on either as game changers or settlers in a game that that's just a, a really steadying thing that Tony Gustafsson and the, and the group around them can have a lot of confidence in and I think the fact that in the, in the response we saw from the Matildas when when Claire did score the fact that they got around her in such a genuine way means that there's a lot of support for her as a player. There's a lot of confidence in her and, and to sort of mark that really special moment. Well, I hope for her that it gives her a, a really well-deserved lift because, yeah, she's been faultless in my eyes. So typically we see the trajectory of international sides, both in the women's and the men's, uh, performing well, getting to the sharper ends of tournaments, uh, getting to the uh, the quarterfinals and the semifinals, two fourth place finishes in the 
last two big women's tournaments. Uh, is there anything that you've seen both internationally from the available competition, knowing that the Olympics is a very different tournament than, than the World Cup, uh, that should Australia get there that... I mean, is it unrealistic to think that that they could actually, given that Canada won the last gold medal, actually win the whole thing? Or, or should we be shooting for uh, something, um, you know, of a different colour? No, look, I think it's really, um, really quite conceivable that we are in that conversation. The Matildas are in a, a medalling conversation, whether that's a gold, silver or bronze. I think that was a, a, a genuinely realistic prospect for the World Cup as well. Um Obviously, we did fall a little bit short, but I think when you look at, yeah, squad depth is one thing that has been building for a, a lot of time now. When you look at the type of opposition that we've played against, um, and I think what was probably a really good telling sign of the game against Iran was the fact that maybe in the past, historically, if we were playing against a really deep line block, uh it, with with the matildas we struggled to break them down really really struggled to pull them apart and at times the default answer was to ping a long ball in over the top to look for sam kerr to just peg it over and, and hope that something came of it what gave me a bit of faith and confidence in where we're up to as a team is that against iran it was a frustrating game for a number of reasons but that tended not to happen there are a few occasions and that's okay in any football game but there wasn't an impatience and an over-reliance on a player to sort of pick something up and, and, and make a result. There, there was a level of patience that I don't think we've seen from the Matildas before. So that was really promising and that's definitely a different uh, story than what we've seen in the past from this team. And, and one final one before we let you go off the, the pitch. Uh, a lot of credit and for good reason has been given to Football Australia for the way they navigated uh, the the World Cup and and created opportunities around it and building the legacy thereafter. Um, the the APL, yep, they've made some uh, pretty ordinary decisions, but uh, there've been a lot of good decisions made as well, and they've uh, uh, had at least the, uh, the the courage to to backflip on the worst of those, being the grand final decision. Uh, one thing that I found frustrating on Sunday afternoon was the fact that six pm prime time. The Matildas are playing a blockbuster game for an Olympic qualifier uh, off the back of the incredible success of the World Cup. And in the A-League men's, we've got a double header um, with, uh, with two Melbourne sides playing and, and the, um, the audiences split. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something that you're hearing um, in, in the, the back rooms and corridors of power um, that, that we need to stop doing this um, so that we can channel the, the eyeballs to where they need to be in, into one group of, uh, of players um, at any given time? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think the tough part about scheduling in the summer of Australia is where you find time to then reschedule, you know, across the A-League men's, across the A-League women's. Um, obviously, the international window at the moment for the women's mean that the A-League women's wasn't on over the weekend, but there's potentially 12 fixtures of a weekend that has match scheduling for for grounds, for referees, for administrators, for teams. Um, so I, I definitely understand and share in the frustration that there's maybe a, a distilled set of eyes on a game which otherwise should be all concentrated on the Matildas, but I also can completely appreciate from the administrative side. We still had what was a record-breaking crowd in person at Optus Stadium in Perth, uh, record-breaking numbers on Network 10 and Paramount Plus in terms of the biggest ever game that had been tuned into, um, and that broke records too. So that that fills me with confidence because despite the point you make, and it's a very good one, um, it's still 
draw in the eyes and the engagement uh, in a way that it never has before. Yeah, I guess if we're asking those questions, um, it, it's uh, it's a good thing that there yes. are a yep. lot of eyeballs exactly. what a waste yep. of the game. That's and, right. And just crunching the numbers on on uh, on crowds, we, we've noticed that not only have um, the the crowds grown in the A League women's competition, but the men's have grown uh, uh, not a lot, but you know by about fifteen hundred people on average per game over the past two. We'll rounds. take so, it. We'll yeah. take it. Anything with a <laughs> north arrow is good, isn't it? Grace? That's right. Yeah. Hey, Grace. Look, uh, we'll we'll let you go. You're always generous with your time. We uh, we enjoy um, watching you on on Ten and Paramount Plus, uh, uh, describing the games and um, and you know your your ability to to really uh, make a lot of sense and and uh, and not use a lot of uh, complicated jargon terms, which you know football sports people uh, do tend <laughs> to do. Uh, um, is uh, is something that uh, that's really fantastic, and we know our, our listeners love it too. Thanks, guys. I do my best and really appreciate your time as always. Good on you, Grace Gill, former Matilda and now one of our leading analysts on the game uh, with 10 and Paramount+. Plus. If you haven't got it already, then I encourage you to do it. It's less than 90 bucks for a full 12-month subscription. Uh, you can get it on the app on your smart TV. Uh, connected TV viewing is just going off the charts uh, in this country. So uh, the, the quality of the service has improved quite a bit over the past uh, 12 months as well. So... Uh, Make sure you get it if you haven't got it already. Okay, after the break, we're going to flip to the other side of the world. We haven't gone to Toontown for a little while, but uh, Newcastle probably not doing as well as they'd expected this season, but uh, but they're going okay. They're playing in Europe and uh, and they're competitive winning games. So we're going to talk to Jacob Whitehead from The Athletic and find out uh, what's going on behind the scenes next on Box to Box. <laughs> Hey Edge, it's Chemist Warehouse time and as we all know, it's the place to shop for all your sports nutrition. There's Sashi, I haven't got that load that you asked for of the fat metabolizer with carnitine, 60 capsules, 1899. I think I might test it out myself. We'll take quite a time to uh, load the boxes in, a a whole shipping container. (laughs) Get a pallet over there for you, mate. What about the INC Ultra Workout Plus? The Intra Workout Plus, in fact, 300 grams for 24.99. Great for your workouts. Maximise everything with the ions. Every workout is better with the INC Intra Workout Plus and Bondi Protein Co Vegan or Slimit Blend. One kilogram range, two for 70 bucks. That is a ripping deal. Now, remember, in addition to visiting your local chemist's warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time. Now, it's when you do come back home from uh, your sojourn in Bangkok. Uh, uh, you probably just won't have time to get down to the shops, will you? You'll need to click and collect and get it delivered. Oh, no, I'd like to go down to Chemist Warehouse because it's an experience to go down and the shops are so good, Rob. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Or, or choose could click and collect as well. You could, or you could choose that fast same-day home delivery. T's and season charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Chemist Warehouse, why pay more? Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. It's been a little while since we had a look at Newcastle. Um, since what looked like a, a breakout season last year under their relatively new Saudi ownership. Um, uh, 
this year they've got European football to contend with and uh, you know they jumped out of the gate hammered Villa at home and it all looked good in the opening round but those couple of wobbles that they had with the consecutive losses weren't really part of the script uh, but since then um, they, uh, they've put together an unbeaten streak and uh, had a, a really good win at home at St James's Park against uh, PSG uh, not so good in, in the past week against Dortmund but uh, hey, you'll take that uh, if uh, the balancing act uh, uh, is in your favour at the at the end of the season. So our next guest, Jacob Whitehead, covers the beat for The Athletic. And, you know, Jacob, I guess the question that I'd ask you off the top is, uh, you know, based on what we've seen so far off the back of last season's success, um, how would you rate the report card for, for Newcastle this season so far? It's such a strange situation for them to be in because last season they outstripped all expectations. The ownership wanted uh, internally, they're aiming to be top 10. They finished fourth and finished Champions League. They kind of outstripped what had been expected. So now this season, what should they do is a really difficult question to answer because if they do fourth again, which might look like treading water, that is still kind of massive progress based on kind of where they thought they'd be at this sort of stage. So at the moment, they're sixth in the league, I think. They're within striking distance of the top four. The Champions League campaign, even with that defeat against Dortmund, is going okay. So overall, I think it's been a pretty good start. They've shown their resolve to kind of overcome that wobble you mentioned early on in the season. And or until the Dortmund loss, uh, they've got this long unbeaten streak, which I suppose if you only count domestic football, is now up to eight or nine games. One of the things I'll have to sort out is their away form. Uh, obviously, at, at St. James's Park, it's been turned into a bit of a fortress. Uh, PSG found that out in the uh, the Champions League. But um, was that draw over the weekend um, one point gained for Newcastle or will they be disappointed with the, with the drop two points there? So I actually think the Wolves game was very similar to the West Ham game immediately before the international break. Both were two all, but both were ones where Newcastle held the lead and were then pegged back, but also ones in which they didn't necessarily actually play that well, where it could be argued that for long stretches, the opposition were the better team, but Newcastle did find this way. Now, against West Ham is due to the form of Alexander Izak. He's now injured for a short period of time, so how they adapt will be important, but... You can see that Callum Wilson and his form, I think, is the best goals per game ratio uh, or goals per minute in the Premier League. And he scored those two goals against Wolves at the weekend to just kind of almost drag Newcastle up by the bootstraps. Now, the penalty is a bit of a controversial one. I probably don't think it was a penalty. But um, this team are finding a way to get points out of somewhere. They're avoiding losses. And that was, in a way, why the Dortmund defeat was so surprising. Hitting the bar twice late on, you're used to a team who sort of have always managed to find an answer mid-game and it was merely just kind of surprised that they didn't. Yeah, you mentioned the squad depth and obviously uh, there's a few injuries around now, not just Isaac, but Harvey Bound, Barnes, Botman, um, amongst others. And that that bench looked a little thin, didn't it? I mean, I, I heard anecdotally there were two goalkeepers on the bench. I don't know if that's true, but um, Howe's got quite a thin squad at the moment that he'll be looking to you know, try and upgrade at Christmas, I would have thought. Yeah, that's true. It's not just two goalkeepers, it's six fullbacks on the bench as well, which is uh, quite an entertaining combination. It's kind of like England's stock of right-backs they have. Um, yes, I mean, Newcastle are always looking to upgrade. The aim is to kind of sign a player every window. There is a few complexities with this. So the ownership are super, super aware of financial fair play. 
Uh, they've kind of seen Manchester City's example, who are currently facing, I think it's 115 charges. And given all the controversy over the ownership, they're determined to be whiter than white and do everything by the book. Now, from what we know, they're kind of right up against it. You could see the evidence for that in the summer, where in signing Lewis Hall, they had to do it as a loan with an obligation to buy, which kind of bumps the funds back to next year. And also the suspension of Sandro Tonali is a bit of a problem in that because he was their big 50, 60 million pound signing in the summer. They aren't going to get any sort of anything back over that off for next year on the pitch. So kind of means, do they have anything to spend in January, knowing that what they spend in January affects what happens next summer as well? They've kind of had this mute music every every window and still managed to emerge with a big signing every window, whether it's Alexander Izak in the last stages of uh, the 2021-22 transfer window, whether it's Gordon after that or Tonali. But it's not a guarantee that they'll sign someone, especially kind of given the importance they put on signing the right person who will add to the squad so far, how hasn't really missed with a transfer since they've joined. You could maybe argue someone like Chris Wood, who's left again now to go to Nottingham Forest, but he's got very important goals for Newcastle at the time, so it's hard to call that a failure. That kind of comes through extensive research, through being patient in the market. So it's something they'll look at, I'm sure, especially possibly to replace a midfielder like Tonali, but again, not guaranteed. Yeah, uh, Calvin Phillips, one of the names being bandied about uh, as a possible replacement at the moment. Christian Eriksen's also been spoken about as well. But, I mean, that's the thing with Newcastle now. They're going to be linked with everybody because they've, they've got the money. It's a really kind of easy paint-by-numbers journalism that, that sets particularly some of the tabloids here, uh, in the UK and overseas can do and can link, link players with with Newcastle, do you, do you think Calvin Phillips, is that something that you think Eddie Howe would be going after? Or is this just a disgruntled player at a club and then maybe the agent's putting it about or, or uh, you know, tabloids are just kind of coming up with copy for that one? It's not something I've heard. Obviously, people put two and two together in that here's an England international who's not playing at club level. Here's a team in need of playing, but... So my understanding was Calvin Phillips is still in Pep Guardiola's plans. Kind of when Rodri's out, he is the player who fills that spot. Um, I suppose the other thing which is kind of challenging for Newcastle is that people know that they're in the market for a midfielder after Tonali's ban and will just kind of jack prices up, which is another kind of... The ownership kind of referred to a Newcastle tax when they first took over, which was kind of meant to be addressing the belief that no one wanted to sell to, to a Saudi-owned club. And now it's just kind of flipped a little bit just to make sure that it's uh, almost, you know, the classic kind of supply and demand metric. Yeah, and looking at the existing squad, you mentioned a few players in some of your other answers. I mean, one of the standouts has got to be uh, Isaac. He's obviously um, not available now, but looks the real deal. And... Anthony got a Gordon who was much maligned by the Everton fans. He saw him as a bit of a bit of a turncoat. Maybe had a little bit of an underwhelming start at Newcastle, but but is really now um, hitting his strap. So are, the, are these two of the bright spots in terms of players that have kicked on this season? For sure. I mean, Alexander Isak um, had an interesting debut season at Newcastle last season because he sort of first game he scored against Liverpool, looked great, and then suffered a really niggly injury, which meant he didn't come back until the start of the year. And sort of Eddie Howe took a while to kind of ingratiate him back into the team. 
Callum Wilson had been playing. He'd gone to the World Cup with England and kind of it took Isaac a bit of time to actually earn his place back. Um, he scored some really important goals against Nottingham Forest and Wolves, which kind of solidified his place as the number one striker with Wilson being the backup. But I think it's almost what's really been in Newcastle's advantage this season. I've written about this is how having both Wilson and Isaac strengthens both of them by being able to rotate their minutes. It helps both of them when they're on the pitch. Wilson has his minutes carefully managed because of his long injury history, whereas kind of Isaac himself kind of has quite a lot of niggly issues. Um, and just kind of those two have really been firing each other on. I think they've scored similar amounts in the Premier League this season. Isaac brings a game which is much better in terms of link-up play, dropping deep. He can also go out to the left and be played with Wilson through the middle. Um, but I just suppose kind of Isaac is that kind of army knife of a player, whereas Wilson's a bit more kind of, you know what you're getting, but just the presence of both of them is massive for Newcastle and only having Wilson for the next few weeks is something which is a bit of a concern just in terms of this is a player who already has his minutes managed. Newcastle, I think, have four games in 11 days coming up. Do you want to have the same player playing up front for all of them? Just moving on to Anthony Gordon as well. Actually, in my past life, I was an Everton fan and so closely tracking Anthony Gordon's journey. Um, and yeah, it was a really difficult first few months in Newcastle for him. He's spoken before. Um, he gave a really interesting interview talking about how footballers need to have an ego. And it's not a bad thing, but it's kind of what drives them. It was what kind of makes him have confidence to do stuff in the pitch. And he'd been forced to develop that really, really quickly at Everton when he was at a team who were relegation threatened and he was the only attacker in form. You have this 19-year-old coming to the side, expected to give him a spark. He finally achieved that when he was then asked to play out of position at striker after Dominic Calvert-Lewin's injury and then was signed by Newcastle. So he's all of a sudden developed this this big ego, been asked to, to sort of put the shoulder, shoulder Everton, goes to Newcastle and has to fight his way into Eddie Howe's team and wasn't in great form. There was a sort of, took him a while to adjust to the demands. He said he wasn't fit enough for what Eddie Howe wanted and there's this kind of quite public little spat at Brentford where he complained about being subbed off as a sub. He'd been brought on at half time and taken off after 96 minutes or something. Um, but a big turning point almost seems to be the summer where he went away of England to the under 21 Euros and um, won the Best Player of the Tournament award sort of in a really quite new false nine position. He'd been asked to sort of do link-up play and he's taken that back and solved the two big issues in his game, which were link-up play and end product. And so this season, he's already got more goal involvement in about 10 games than he did in the entirety of last season. And probably alongside Kieran Trippier has been Newcastle's player of the season. He's like to think he was on the edge of an England squad in that left wing berth. And just his versatility as well, being able to play left, right, number 10, striker, even number eight, is something which could even fire him into the squad for this summer. Yeah, and you mentioned the fixtures before, and they do come thick and fast. And the next one is during the week against uh, Manchester United in the round of 16 in the EFL Cup. Uh, I mean, presumably Newcastle have no real options to rotate for this. I mean, they might be able to find some youngsters somewhere in the ranks, but. Um, how how important is this in the pantheon of Newcastle's season? They're obviously a club starved of silverware. Uh, this would represent a good opportunity to, to take out the uh, the three-handled trophy 
Um, but at the same time, they're obviously in in the Champions League. They're competing hard in the Premier League. You know, what, what, how do you expect them to approach the Man United game? And um, is the, is this a priority for them at the moment? Yeah, I mean, this is a club desperate for silverware who haven't won uh, a major domestic trophy since the 1950s and who came so close in the League Cup last season, which means that temptation or that belief is obviously there. This is a group who know that they can go that far in the competition. But you can kind of see Eddie Howe's priorities through the teams he selected so far this season. And it was actually the win over Manchester City in the last round, which is the only match you could say he's rotated in all season. I mean, both sides were heavily rotated, but he picked youngsters such as kind of 17-year-old Louis Miley in midfield. He picked uh, Tino Livramento and Lewis Hall at fullback, who I think perhaps both of their only starts of the season. Um, And so they still kind of almost managed to emerge with quite a surprising win there. It wouldn't surprise me if they rotated again midweek based on those priorities. But like you said, they only have so many options. They can shuffle around the defence again, and I think they might. They maybe play Paul Dummett, they maybe play the fullbacks, they'll maybe give Martin Dubravka a game. But they really don't have that many players elsewhere to actually be able to play. Uh, Jacob Murphy, he'd often come in for this sort of game. He dislocated his shoulder against Crystal Palace, which threatens his involvement. Um, so yeah, it, it could well be kind of mix it up at the back, keep it the same at the front, kind of a mullet of a selection. And then uh, the weekend, so you know, Champions League football, the League Cup run, trying to to rectify uh, falling one short last season, and uh, and then a team that um, have not historically um, had a, a good time of it at St James's Park this weekend, Arsenal. So these are the sorts of games that Newcastle are, are now going to be expected to if not necessarily win but at least get a result out of it home yeah i mean eddie howe's all about just ensuring he has this sort of famous quote we're not here to be liked we're here to compete and often newcastle the arsenal seems like the sort of embodiment of that you kind of got a team from the capital who play very pretty football coming up to the northeast and newcastle wanting to bring that intensity from the first whistle there's that really famous example two seasons ago where they uh kind of derailed Arsenal's Champions League bid and it was kind of that kind of felt like the start of they had been gaining wins before that but it kind of felt the start of quite how good this Newcastle team could be but last season Arsenal came up to St James's Park and put in a really streetwise performance I think after Newcastle fans were complaining about uh, time wasting and uh, Arsenal kind of pushing the limits um, which is something which Newcastle themselves have been doing all season so it kind of showed a development in Arsenal and how kind of Newcastle still aren't this fully formed perfect side who can necessarily compete with every team in the league if the opposition turns up and play puts in a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 performance. It'll be a great sort of matchup at the weekend because you do kind of have this Newcastle's intensity, but will that be jaded by all of these fixtures versus an Arsenal team who, when they get up for this, when they have something to play for, have shown how well they can treat this fixture, but themselves have league title European football to focus on. Yeah, it's a fascinating club to watch, Jacob, uh, from afar uh, um, with the the geopolitical uh, story around the ownership, but then a proper football town with passionate fans who've been waiting nearly a generation for owners who showed their club the love and respect that they had. So it's it's a really tough arm wrestle to, to try and uh, negotiate your way through in the conversation. But ultimately, uh, for the purpose of this conversation, football alone um, 
is is going pretty well uh, in in Newcastle, and uh, and the locals uh, must be pretty happy about that. Yes, yeah, I mean, I think you actually got to how there's that kind of dual, um, there's that dual narrative in terms of when the takeover happened. Kind of lots of people were overjoyed, but because of in a way Mike Ashley going, and people have these concerns over the regime, but people are do care about human rights, but it's just kind of difficult to ask people to stop supporting a club they've supported for potentially their whole lives. It's kind of asking them to take a kind of higher moral position than the British government's taking in their action towards Saudi Arabia. So you kind of see why people have these quite complex feelings towards the club. And I wrote an article about a couple of weeks ago about how Saudi Arabia investing in the city of Newcastle, as well as the club Newcastle, and this is a region which has been historically underinvested in in the UK, especially by a London-based government. Um, when you've kind of got everything which is happening on the pitch and off the pitch and this feeling of pride which has been brought back, you kind of see why people feel the way they do after kind of how Mike Ashley's era felt even three, four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, your your point is well made. It's a very complex um, uh, narrative to to try and negotiate your your way around as an observer from the other side of the world, let alone uh, somebody in your country. So um, you explain it well, Jacob, and um, and with a, a sense of compassion and understanding uh, that um, that I know we appreciate um, uh, uh, you, you're making that effort, mate. So um, thanks for for talking football and a little bit of uh, you know, world view on the whole thing as well, and. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully we'll, we'll get you back on again soon and uh, talk a bit more footy uh, in the not too far distant future. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Good chat. Not at all, Jacob Whitehead from, from, Whitehead from The Athletic. If you haven't got your subscription to The Athletic, make sure you do. Jacob writes some lovely stuff and really insightful uh, football copy from him. Stick around after the break. I know we've already talked a lot of World Cup. There's a bit more to discuss in World Cup Corner on Box to Box. Well, 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 everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. You know, Edge, I'm always having a conversation at home about trying to pack more flavour in, into my uh, family's meals. I like a lot of flavour, uh, whereas Sandra, my wife, she's Italian, you know, and they, they, they like a lot more simple flavours, but I'm, I'm big and robust. I know you are too, aren't you? Big and robust, yeah. Well, I mean, flavour-packed meals, uh, Hoyts, uh, it's their expertise. And uh, when you go down the shopping aisle and you grab the Hoyt served the spices, mm. your, your meals eventually become more flavoursome, don't they? They do. And, and, but, you know, what we're trying to do, eat more healthy food, and, and you could do that with Hoyt's herbs and spices and include a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables. Like, I'll give you an example. I made a spicy chicken Mexican salad. So avocado, some kidney beans, uh, cherry tomatoes, uh, red onion, uh, and I barbecued some chicken thighs with the Hoyt's spice rub, right? Had a little bit of white sugar, a little bit of brown sugar, salt, and my four color peppercorn mix, which you know I love. Some Hoyt's chili powder, some paprika, smoked paprika, the two of them, oregano, powdered oregano, ground mustard and cayenne pepper, right? It was a delicious, spicy, flavoursome rub. A little bit of olive oil, barbecued them, squeeze of lemon juice, and then slice it, and then over the top of the salad with a little whatever dressing you like. I mean, I like something with a bit of olive oil and lemon juice and garlic. It is like some corn chips as well, get a bit of texture in there. Now that's healthy, isn't it? Tasty. 
Sounds pretty good to me, Rob. Bloody delicious it was, Edge. And uh, it was all because of Hoyt's food, Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. My good mate Johnny Yocardo and the whole family. So get on down to Coles, Woolworths or a good independent supermarket wherever you are. The good thing about podcasts is you can rewind them and you can listen to the list of spices that I just gave you and you can make it yourself. Sounds good, Rob. Well, You'll be doing I'm it when you get waiting for that invite when I come back to Melbourne. Mate, hey, listen, I, 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 I had you plan to come over here during the World Cup when Sandra was in Italy and you were all over Australia. You weren't available. So what can I do? You know, you're, you're the... You're the travelling man, mate. You're, there's a song written about you. The, you know, the uh, what was it called? I've been everywhere, man. I think we might uh, uh, make a Thai version of it for you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. White herbs and spices in your spice aisle at Holes Wars and Awkward Independent Supermarkets. Fill those empties with white spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box World Cup Corner. Lovely chatting to Jacob Whitehead. Um, he uh, is a young guy uh, on the beat at Newcastle. Uh, Chris War, um, who we've spoken to a few times uh, over the journeys on paternity leave. So congratulations to Chris and his partner on the birth of their little one. But Jacob doing a fantastic job filling in there. So to bring it home, guys, um, it, well, Edge, first of all, in the Olympic qualifiers, uh, it's pretty much going as we've expected, isn't it? We're, we're going to see uh, most likely Japan and China and then one of either North or South Korea go through um, f- to to the final stages. That's right. Um, look, just looking at some of the results that have occurred over the last uh, few days, South Korea 10, Thailand 1. It was a bit of a shock um, that uh, Thailand was so uncompetitive. Japan 7, India nil. The big result was China 1, North Korea 2. North Korea back in Asian football on the women's side for the first time in many years. So they've been suspended for various irregularities uh, uh, around the ages of their players in an underage, um, underage tournament previously. So North Korea getting over the top of China was a bit of a shock. Um, Vietnam nil, Uzbekistan won. North Korea and South Korea played out a draw to a game that was uh, didn't kick off in the time that we expected, um, but did, did get away. There must be a story there. And Uzbekistan nil, Japan too. So Japan's going to go through top of the group. The, the, the group that we need to watch is the group that has China, Thailand, North Korea and South Korea. Um, South Korea and China play each other. If South Korea win, they'll go through top, but North Korea probably will beat Thailand heavily. So if it's a, if they split the points between South Korea and China, North Korea could go top of the group, which would mean a game for Australia against North Korea. And uh, that opens up um, a Pandora's box of a million questions, Rob. Well, it certainly does, Edge. Um, it's, uh, th- th- that game was, was delayed for some reason. We, we did have yeah, quite a, a it, deep it, look it was, into that. Yeah, the, obviously there have been some issue there, but um, we're mm. not sure. We haven't, we've been sort of uh, sh- shaking the trees to find out uh, through my Asian network what's going on, but mm. everyone's pretty quiet about Big it. Surprise so it that, um, a big surprise that there's no news coming out of I North did Korea. Hear that the I game was about. played behind closed doors. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm so big surprised that no news is coming out of North Korea. Um, well, usually, um, you know, they're just they're just full of uh, public statements and uh, they are, aren't they? Know, clarity yeah. and, well, and, and just some interesting um, women's friendly results from around the world. USA uh, in the post World Cup era, um, three defeated Colombia. One, they had a, a nil or draw with Colombia. They played them twice over the past six days. Canada went down to Brazil one nil uh, at home, and Ecuador won over Peru nil. 
um, some interesting results. And yeah, while well, we've got Derek back at his World Cup corner, we're going to talk about a former Socceroos World Cup coach. He's obviously in the news in Australia every day. Every time he um, puts Vegemite on his toast, it seems to have been reported in the news at the moment. Ange Postacoglu is more than the flavour of the month here, but you've just been in the old dart. And I say this as an Arsenal fan, but someone who has very much the green and gold uh, flowing through his blood. Um, what can you tell us about what sort of coverage this story's getting in the UK? There's obviously all the traditional club um, rivalries, but is this sort of, you know, this coach from the Antipodes, is, is it gaining some traction? And, you know, what's the... What's the what was the feeling like in in London in particular about Ange Postecoglou and uh, his performances today? Uh, I think it depends which cohort of people you're talking to. I think general punter on the street. I think there is now this growing realization, and as as every game goes, where where Tottenham put another result on the board, a growing realization of what what Ange. Is bringing and and that it's not a kind of new manager bounce. If it is, it's quite a quite a big bounce. Uh, and I think some understanding that there's a lot more than just a kind of uh, a good bloke who says it as it is. That there's a lot of uh, tactical acumen um, sitting underneath it. And yeah, the talkback radio, which I listen to quite frequently as well. Um, you know, there's people still being a bit dismissive of Tottenham's Premier League chances and still thinking that that race is between Manchester City and, and Liverpool are probably the other one mentioned. But, you know, overall, I'd say the majority of people are rating what Angie, what Angie's doing. If you then talk to Arsenal fans and then, you know, and I, I, I count myself um, amongst them, obviously, but obviously having not been in the thick of it for some time, they are absolutely convinced that um, Ange will be found out, that he's a fraud, that Tottenham have been extremely fortunate up until this point, that they should have lost to Liverpool, that, that catastrophic decision around Luis Diaz's goal. Uh, they think Arsenal should have beaten them at the Emirates as well, and that they've uh, had a lot of easy fixtures uh, you know, sort of at the start of the season that eventually the fixtures will start coming and they'll be worked out. So um, I'd say that the Arsenal fans are, you know, that, that but I, I'd say that... They're being magnanimous. Absolutely. No, no, they're, they're, they, yeah, they're, they're obviously very irked by it. Like, they can't believe that it's going to happen. It makes them feel sick. Well, that, and, that, yeah. It does disappoint me a little bit, uh, mm. Derek, because that just sounds like the Rangers fans uh, early in his Celtic reign, and it sounds like the... Ura fans in Tokyo early in his reign at Yokohama, they're big rivals. So um, that's not good. Look, um, no, it's interesting that you say that. That's to be expected. But he's done it before. And, you know, you've got to say that um, he's, he's in a lot of games at the moment that are very winnable. And um, I guess the, the big one was the draw against Arsenal, wasn't it? That was the, that was the sort of first test he got through. Um, um, City's not too far away for them, but it is quite an enthralling and captivating journey that he's on for Tottenham fans in particular and Australian football lovers secondary. Well, I thought it was um, 
Very uh, classy of you, Derek, to sort of bookend the, the show, uh, being forced to talk about Spurs. I mean, why don't we why don't we talk about Arsenal and give you that opportunity to to, to talk about them? Because seriously, I mean, that that, that goal buffer that I mentioned in the the, the sort of the, the news summary off the top of the show, um, they wouldn't have known it at the time, but uh, uh, the uh, you know, particularly with the derby, the Manchester derby coming up, uh, you know, there, there would have been a reasonable expectation that at home United would have put up some kind of a fight and uh, and uh, and put in a, at least got a closer um, uh, well, p- performance. Um, might not have been a win, but um, but uh, to just get absolutely hammered the way they did um, was, um, was uh, probably likely to, to, to jump City over Arsenal on the ladder had they not, one by uh, by as many goals as they did. Yeah, I mean, I think Arsenal have been. It's been a long time coming, handing out this kind of hammering to someone, and poor old Sheffield United got in the way. Obviously, the big talking point was was Eddie in where's Eddie Eddie in Ketia scoring the three. He actually turned down the opportunity to um, to to uh, to get a fourth with the penalty and gave it to Fabio Vieira. He would have been the the only the third Arsenal player to score four goals in the Premier League after Thierry Henry and Andreas Ashavin. And he scored an absolutely fantastic goal that I didn't realise uh, was in his locker. It was a little bit like the 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 Irukunda goal in a way, just from a long way out, just rasping into the into the top corner there. And I suppose I'd ask Edge briefly, you know, nice guy Eddie. I mean, I change my mind on this guy every week. Sometimes I think he's class, and sometimes I just think. You know this player isn't good enough. You know to to be the backup striker for Arsenal, but you know, you know, is he a flat trap bully, or do you, can you do you think we can see more elevated performances from him? No, I'm expecting elevated performances from him because they wouldn't be persevering him with him if they didn't uh, see in training that uh, he was, you know, full of potential. Um, you know, he scored a hat-trick on the weekend and, you know, there's a lot to like about the way he plays. I thought early in that the first two games in particular was very, very good. Um, I, I think that um, it's too early to throw the – too early to dis- discount what he could be in a couple of years' time, Derek. Um, I think that's the key. Um, I'm just nervous about Arsenal's depth and the ability to hang in there um, and – uh, you know, front up at the, at the back half of the season in, in those big games. We have to keep beating the clubs in and, in and around the bottom of the table comfortably. I'm just interested to get your view on that, whether you think that whether they're on a roll similar to last year or not. Oh, look, as, as I think as I said off the top, I mean, Arsenal have had their best start for 16 years and I don't even think they're out of second or even third gear at the moment. Uh, the the you know, they have kind of eked out um, some results. It hasn't been altogether fluid. The game, the win over Man City, although it was a tremendous result, you know, was kind of ground out as opposed to, um, you know, a sensational performance. And while some Arsenal fans will moan about the Spurs game and how we should have won it, you know, I actually think the game was pretty balanced and Spurs had chances too. And it could, it could have been, it, it could have been very different. Uh, you know, yeah, I'd, it's a really difficult one to answer, Edge. There's some really good positive stuff. I, I think the goalkeeper is a distraction. I think that has been... I don't know why we brought that on. Yeah. 
we've got to get that sorted out one way or the other. I think that's a problem. Guys, um, you know, you give, talk about giving people an inch and they'll take a mile. I, I, I offered you just a little window to reflect on Arsenal. I didn't say, guys, set up an entirely new segment to discuss Arsenal, <laughs> the pros and cons, an entire season. Okay, so we know David Raya and Aaron Ramsdale are fighting for the spot. Maybe we'll do a new segment on that, gentlemen. So we'll, we'll wrap it up there, if you don't mind. We'll take it offline, Edge. <laughs> we will. No, well, well, in all seriousness, Derek, welcome back. And uh, it, it was uh, it was great to, to hear you had such a good time, mate, and um, enjoyed your 40th celebrations when you got home and uh, with your beautiful family. And um, and uh, we're back here talking some football again. Thanks, gents. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later in the week on Stoppage Time. And you, Edge, uh, good to see that you're enjoying the, the balmy, humid climes of, uh, of Bangkok still. Uh, we're just coming out of the wet season into the winter, so the weather's uh, coming off an edge a little bit. But yeah, it's a special thoughts to Lewis Diaz. It's not all about mm. football, this podcast. Mm. Uh, Liverpool and uh, one of their players are going through a hell of a time at the moment. His parents are uh, kidnapped, and I uh, understand mum, his mother, uh, Marilanda, has been. Uh, has been found safe and well, but mm-hmm. his father is still missing. So yeah. there must be some terribly anxious times for that family mm-hmm. and the Liverpool, uh, his teammates and people close to the club that work with the players. That is uh, a horrendous story. And we just hope that um, the Colombian, uh, that, that his dad, um, whose name is Luis Manuel, Diaz, we hope he's found safe and uh, can mm-hmm. return home to his loved ones. Yeah, we do. It's not the sort of story we hear um, often these days, since the you know the, the drug cocaine wars of the of the um, the, the cartels uh, under um, the Escobars of this world. So it's sort of a real throwback to, to that shocking era when kidnappings were a dime a dozen. So we wish uh, Diaz's family all the best and a safe return of his dad real soon, gentlemen. We'll wrap it up there. Um, Adam Maloney, obviously, uh, who pieces this whole thing together um, as our uh, production uh, coordinator. Thank you again, mate. And uh, to our listeners, please subscribe to Box to Box wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have some time, make sure you you leave us a a nice review. They always make a difference. Subscribe to Box to Box, Stoppage Time and Offside. Uh, Tweet us or post us at Box to Box and follow us on X. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.